We'll be reading this morning from Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. World Mission Sunday. Of course, we do this every year. And typically, of course, we spend the weeks leading up to World Mission Sunday to look at some things about world missions and God reaching the world. The key point we want to focus on today is that God's plan for reaching the world with the message of Christ involves every single person. And you are involved in that. If you are here and you're not a believer, you are definitely involved in the plan. Because that's what world missions is all about, is to reach the lost, which we all are, with the message of Christ, which we all need, concerning the forgiveness of Christ, which we all require, because we are sinners. And for those of us in the family of God, every single person has a place in his plan for reaching the world with the gospel. Now, you may find that hard to believe. Me? I've got a place in God's plan? You know, I, I just, I thought I was just a, a church member. I don't even hold an office. I don't, I don't teach a class. All of us are included in God's plan. See, the question this morning we ask is, where is my place in God's plans for missions? Where's my place in God's work for reaching this community and reaching the world? Every one of us has a place. And that's where we want to focus this morning is to find that place where we know we're where we need to be doing what we ought to do for God's work. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you that you give us examples of the way you want your work done. And as we look into your word, we ask that we would see this example. May our church find our place in your plan. May every member find our place in your plan. And we thank you for this plan. We thank you for the love of Christ for the forgiveness of sins that's available. And Father, we ask that we would not rest till everyone we know is aware of that beautiful plan, the good news, the message of the love of Christ and forgiveness of sins and salvation and hope eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> For those of you who have read through the book of Acts at all, or have you been to Sunday school or Wednesday night lessons, you'll know that this incident marks the beginning of the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And if you have a study Bible, you have headings and so forth, some of your Bibles may even say this is the start of the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. 
it could be said as we look at organized mission work that this could be the beginning of any organized mission effort. And it is good, a good model. I've preached on this passage of scripture because I've got some notes scribbled in the margins here. And as I preached on this passage of scripture, you may already have the date and the time. I'm aware I've read this passage before. But the good model for mission work is this, as we look at this passage of scripture. Some go as they fasted and prayed the Holy Spirit in some way impressed on all of them, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. Now that work was very specific. It says they laid hands on these men and sent them away. Then the very next verse said that they went away. It was obvious the work that they had did not include what was going on at Antioch. The work that they had to do, God let them know these men specifically will go. They will go somewhere else and preach the gospel. That is, of course, our viewpoint of mission work. Some go. But something we knew to realize is not everybody went. Some stay. It mentions five guys here, and only two of them went, and the other three remained at the church with the rest of the congregation. Five leaders mentioned, two went, three stayed. Some go, some stay. That's as important a part of mission work as the ones that go, as the ones that stay. But of course, we realize some go, some stay, all pray. All pray. They fasted. fasted. Fasting is always included with prayer. Anytime you see it mentioned in the scripture. As they fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Then they fasted and prayed. All are expected to pray. Definitely you would want Saul and Barnabas to be praying as they went forward. But definitely Saul and Barnabas would like to know that the church was praying as they sent them out. In fact, the Apostle Paul mentioned when he said something about the armor of God over in the book of Ephesians, he listed the armor of God and then he said, and then you pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and pray for me. Over in the book of 2 Thessalonians, pray for us. You see, some go, some stay, all pray, and that includes us. We ought to be praying. Now, preachers a lot of times are pretty clever. We always like to make things rhyme or put things together in a clever way. So you'd say some go, some stay, all pray, some pay, right? Can't miss that. Some pay. This day we take the special offering for worldwide missions. Some pay. Is that found here? Well, when we talk about money, it actually is not. And it'd be nice to think that perhaps it's implied or we can assume that they paid, but the Apostle Paul says exactly the opposite. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, you know, talking about the, the uh, Christians at Philippi, in the beginning of the gospel, in the early days, no church gave to me except you. So that tells us the church at Antioch sent them away. They didn't pay. Or did they? Well, they didn't pay money. But what did we say before? They had five good 
leaders in the church. They gave two of them up to go to a foreign land. Oh, they paid. They didn't pay money, but they sent people. There's a new model in our mission work. I think it's a, a beautiful model. The old model of our mission work, especially when it came to North American missions or mission work uh, in the United States, is uh, a man and his wife and his family would get the burden to be going somewhere off and, and plant a church somewhere far away, and the missions department would meet, and they would get together, and, of course, they would, they would screen these guys, and they would make sure, and they would recommend them to the association. The association would elect them. Then they'd send them out, a man and his wife and his family, somewhere far, far away, plop them down in the middle of a town, and they by themselves are going to start a church. And a lot of times that was successful. And a lot of times it wasn't successful because this guy and his wife and family all by themselves in a town. And you know, that, that's definitely not the model. How many guys they send to? Here's what we're finding. I believe we're going to work with a church plant like this uh, this uh, summer. Is there are churches with people that are so concerned about mission work that several families in a church will get burdened and they will find an area of the country that needs a church. And several families in that church will uproot, move to that part of the country, get themselves jobs, and start a church plant. Now, that's a more, more successful model. Why? You have teamwork all the way around. But it's costly to the church. Because we all want to keep everybody here. You want to make sure that our congregation grows and let's keep everybody here. But you know, a church that's willing to give up people pays too. Whether it be one or two that go off to the mission field or a group of families. You see, when it comes to mission work, God asks for an investment of all of us. And sometimes, listen close, sometimes our money is the easiest thing God asks us to give. Now, some might find that hard to believe. Write a check out of my checking account for missions department. You don't know how tight my budget is. Go to the airport and watch when a missionary and his wife and his family leave and watch the parents and grandparents wave at those kids when they get on that plane. Then you tell me writing a check is hard to do. Sometimes our money is the easiest thing he asks of us. He asks of all of us an investment. It could be money. It could be time. It could be effort. But he asks for us an investment. And anything's worthwhile requires an investment. This is a good model. But it is not the beginning of organized mission work where a church sends someone from here over there. We're going to back up a couple of chapters to chapter 11, verse 19. We see an earlier instance where a church sends somebody from here over there. And it's quite interesting to see where over there is. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But 
some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and great many people were added to the Lord. The church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. And it says when he got to Antioch, a great number of people were added to the Lord. Antioch was a great strategic position. Uh, uh, position. It was a great decision. Here's the reason why. When you send someone into a mission point, you want to be sure you send them to a place where you can reach a lot of people. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was second only to Rome and Alexandria. It was between the two. And it was a great strategic point. It had roads leading from all over the empire to Antioch because it was a regional capital. It was a trade route. People from all over the world passed through Antioch. It had a river that passed through it and upstream it would go to all kinds of points inland. Downstream it went straight to the Mediterranean Sea not far from there. So though it was not on the coast it had a huge international trade. It was a brilliant choice, and obviously it was a good choice because we see what kind of results it had. It said the hand of the Lord was with them in verse 21. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. In verse 24, the historian Luke, he repeats it again. A great many people were added to the Lord. And then in verse 26, it gets even better. It says the last statement the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They got noticed. You know, <clears throat> public relations is important when you want to do a church plant. We've been involved with that with some of the, the teen mission trips. The teenagers can tell you stories about getting flyers that have been printed up with a little hole in there. We go hang them on doorknobs. We go pass out flyers. We go to the park. We pass out water. We go, of course, to... Uh, uh, shopping centers and we meet people. We've got the shirts with the name of the church on them. We understand that public relations and being noticed is important. Something happened in Antioch to where people pointed and they said, hey, those are Christians, literally Christ's folk. Those are Christ's people. They were visible. They were evident. And so we realized this was a brilliant missions Strategy. Who thought of this? Well, Church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas, so maybe it was their missions committee that thought of this, sending everybody up to Antioch. Actually, it was not the missions committee, and we get a clue of who's responsible when you look in verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, and we continued reading and we focused in on the mission work. Look at that statement. Those that were scattered. 
We find the backstory of that in chapter 8, verse 1. Turn back a few more pages. Stephen had been stoned to death. There was a man who was involved in this execution, this murder, and his name was Saul. Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Luke interrupts this to deal with a few other issues, and then he picks it back up in 11 verse 19. It says, now there, those who were scattered traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and where? Antioch. Who put them in Antioch? God put them in Antioch, not Jerusalem, not the missions committee. God put them in Antioch. They fled persecution, but they did not flee service. In every situation, good or bad, they went everywhere preaching the word. I'm sure there were days they were not in a real preachy mood. And sometimes we have those days. But whether or not we've got a good day, a bad day, persecuted, all things going well, they were continually 100% dedicated to their investment in worldwide missions. And that everywhere they went, they shared Jesus Christ. That's our involvement in missions. And it was God that put them at Antioch. So at Antioch, some went, some stayed. Now, how'd they get to Antioch? Well, at Jerusalem, some went and some stayed. So we realize the model for mission. And here's the key point. Because when we talk about missions and missionaries, we always focus on the ones that go. And I think that's important. It is, it is an awesome, awesome decision to make when somebody says I'm going to uproot my life and I'm going to go over there it is it it just demands our utmost respect and admiration for these people but let me tell you this and this is a key point if you don't get anything except this point those that stay are just as called to the awesome task of reaching the world as those that go don't miss that. Those that stay are just as important to mission work as those that go. And you are just as called. Just as called. Passage of scripture that comes to mind is Mark chapter 5. You want to turn back there because we want to see the words of Jesus himself. Jesus had just stepped up toe-to-toe -to -toe with a legion of demons. There's a lot of things we don't understand about this in this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> so we, we don't let what we don't understand cloud what we do understand. But Jesus 
had pretty much stepped up toe-to-toe and took on a whole legion of Satan's worst, sent him packing. The man that was affected by this is a changed man. Before, he was wild. He had no clothes. He lived in the tombs with dead bodies. He broke chains. He He was totally incorrigible. You could not do anything with him. He was uncontrollable. But it says, after Jesus came, in verse 15 of Mark chapter 5, they saw the one who had been demon-possessed He had and had the legion. He was sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who saw it told them how it happened to him that had been demon-possessed and about the swine. They began to plead with him to depart from their coast And here's the point. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Did you get that? He begged Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to travel all the places you're traveling. I want to go over there. And Jesus said, stay home and tell people what I've done for you. And his calling was just as much out of the lips of Jesus as the calling of those who went over there. And when we sit in our churches and in our pews, it's not because... We just hadn't gotten a calling and God hadn't called us to do anything. It's because God has called us to stay here. Staying and working here does not mean that something else hadn't come along. It means that God has chosen for us to stay here and work. And staying here should be taken as seriously as going there. And it should involve every ounce of our dedication as effort as the one who goes and learns the foreign language and goes to New Guinea, or Honduras, or the Philippines, or to Romania. Those that stay are just as called, including all of us. And see, this is the point that God wants us to work at. Not because something else hadn't come along, but because God has called us to be here. Many of you know my story. Sharon and I were married, and of course, she knew what she was getting into. She, I was a, a minister before we married, and we were excited. We were excited. We were willing to go anywhere the Lord led us to go, and we were thinking about the regions beyond. We didn't know if it'd be in the desert southwest. We didn't know if it'd be overseas. We were ready to go anywhere. And then a year after we were married, Mr. Alvin Waller, pulled up in a U-Haul truck and loaded us up and moved us to Brister. You see, God had called us to Brister. God called us less than 20 miles down the road, willing to go anywhere. I was the associate pastor there at Antioch and got the telephone call, won't know if I'd come in view of a call, Brister Baptist Church. And my pastor at that time, Brother Ralph Cottrell, he said, I think it just may be time for you to try your wings, son. Came down here met with the pulpit committee. Y'all extended the call and we moved down here. 
God called us 20 miles down the road from where we were, but it's just as much of a call. Fast forward a few years, of course, we moved away to Gurdon. I'd been to Gurdon about a year and began to get very restless in knowing I was not the leadership that that church needed. And both Sharon and I felt that we didn't know what was going to happen. She said, what are we going to do? I said, I'm going to stay here and be the best pastor I can be for these people until God opens a door. Went to a missions conference, and they were extending an invitation. So many pastors just want to stay where it's comfortable in Arkansas. We have so many places people need to go. Can't we get somebody who's willing to go wherever God leads them? Well, I went down and spoke with the missions directors, and we all prayed together. Then we began to talk. And they needed somebody in the northwestern part of the United States. Had a mission point already picked out, but the James Cruz already said, there's a good pot, spot for a church, one of those strategic locations. So Sharon and I talked to the missions department. Had to go through a, a vetting process, investigation. Had to appear and do an interview before the committee. That was pretty frightening. Because all the big names in the BMA were there, E. Harold Henderson and all the pastors, all the missions director. Well, somehow we passed the interview. So I announced to the church at Gurdon one Sunday morning. I'm going to be gone next Sunday, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to Washington State. I'm preaching at Tacoma, Washington. Could be I'm preaching in view of a call. The missionary that was there is going somewhere else, and they'll need a pastor. I'm also going across the river from Portland. The missions director and I are going. We're looking a place to plant a church. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not just going to fill in. I'm going to look and see if God wants me to go up there. We went home and ate lunch. Then the phone rang. I pretty well knew who it was. It was somebody saying, Brother Eric, how could you leave us? Why are you going off to Washington State? It wasn't. It wasn't them. It was you. <laughs> that very same day, pastor that had followed me had resigned and left. And you called and said, we voted today to extend a call for you to come back to Brister and be our pastor. Didn't that put a wrinkle in my thought process? I was already playing. So I said, look, I've got to get this out of my system. I've got to go. I have to see if I'm supposed to be in Washington. And to tell you the truth, that was pretty exciting. It was pretty exciting. And I went to Washington State and looked around. Everything looked so exciting. It was such a beautiful place and so forth. But then I had to come back and decide, where does God want me? And let me tell you, everybody, everybody advised me, you can never go back to Brister and make it work, ever. It'll never be the same. You can't go back home. Don't do it. It's not a good idea. So I prayed. We agonized, and I prayed, and I tried this on, and I tried that on, tried to see where I finally I could get no rest, I could get no peace until I came to the decision, God has called me to stay. 
Now that went against everything that we had talked about up to then. We can't get any pastors to leave Arkansas. I felt like I'd be copping out. I felt like I'd be taking the comfortable road. And pastors have told me it doesn't work. Don't go. Went to the missions director. I wanted to talk to him man to man. I wasn't going to tell him this on the phone. I was going to tell him of my decision. I said, I need to come and we need to talk about my decision. He said, well, come in and shut the door. And I said, I am convinced 100% God is not calling me to Washington State, but he's calling me to Brister. He looked at me and said, well, I didn't know how I was going to tell you this, but the money that was supposed to come through to send you to Washington did not come through. And that door had closed before I even knew it. And God called us back here. That was this April, 29 years ago. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see if it's going to work out, okay? (laughs) You see, I'm not here because nothing else has come up. Something else came up. It wasn't just a few years later. The state missions department gave me a call, Stanley Beard. They had thought about it. They had prayed about it. They had looked over all of the candidates. You're our guy. We need somebody in Van Buren. We can't think of anybody else that'd want to come up here. Can you at least go look at it? I said, well, I suppose I at least owe it to you to go up and look at what's going on at Van Buren. We set the time and the date. About a week later, we were supposed to go. The closer that date came, the worse I felt to the point of being sick at my stomach. And I called and said, I absolutely, positively can't even be fair in going up to look at the field. I'm not your man. God has called me to stay. And you see, just because God has not called you to go doesn't mean you don't have something to do. God calls some to stay. Now, the fact that I've stayed has not distanced me from worldwide missions. As you know, your preacher's always hounding you about worldwide missions, right? As a local church, God gives us all something to do, and something to do here makes a big impact of what's going on out there. So I know God called me to stay. And God has led you here. But let me ask, what about you? We're preparing for an invitation on him. What about you? Number one, if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, this is all about you. God sends people around the world to reach the lost, and God sends people to stay here to reach you with the love of Jesus Christ, simply because without him there is no hope of any joy, any confidence, any optimism, anything of purpose in your future without Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here, is to shed abroad this message of his love. But maybe you're here and and God's calling you to go. You know, some of our young people have already talked to me about God stirring their hearts about going. Maybe God has just called you to double down on your commitment to stay not just to stay 
but I believe in the work of this church and I'm willing to work hard and I'm willing to give just as much dedication to the work of this church as if I was gone over somewhere else overseas and do the work there. What about you? What about me? Have you found your place? Are you willing to fill that place and do anything, go anywhere, give whatever it takes to fill our place in the effort of reaching the world for Jesus Christ? You have to decide for you as we stand and sing. Number 221. <laughs>